The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Amen. heaven you are the great king the lord over all the universe you have made everything that we see even down to the very smallest molecule and cells in our bodies and out in the world that you have created lord we pray thanking you for your careful care over all of your creation including us and we pray lord as we have gathered together today as your people the church that you would be with us inhabit our praises Inspire our hearts and our minds as we hear your word proclaimed, that we would hear the truth and believe it, that we would hear of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and have a sense of his presence with us. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your people as we meditate, as we pray, as we sing, as we read your word. Would you touch our hearts? Would you change us that we might be like your precious son, the Lord Jesus? And Lord, we join our hearts together now and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you would like to look there. Because this is a profession of faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning in verse 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. Amen. As we continue to worship, please take your hymnal and turn to number 55 as we sing together to God be the glory.
may be seated, and our children can come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good Good to see you all. I have a question for you this morning. Before I read a little passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, I wanted to see if anybody knows, maybe just raise your hand and tell us briefly, what does the word compassion mean? Anybody know what compassion is? Any ideas? Yeah. Love. Compassion means love. Anybody else? I thought I saw maybe another hand. Abigail? Being careful. Being careful. If someone gets hurt, you have compassion on them and feel sorry for them. If somebody gets hurt, you have compassion on them, you feel sorry for them. Yeah, I think all of those things are part of having compassion. I want to read just a little story to you from the book of Acts, and I want you to think about who had compassion in this story, okay? Who loved someone, who, who saw them and, and felt sorry for them, okay? This is Acts chapter 16. We're going to read about the Philippian jailer. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself with it. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he ran in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So we're talking about compassion this morning. And if you were listening with your good listening ears, what was it that you heard? Who had compassion in that story? Danny. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Can you say why you think they had compassion? Danny. Because they washed their stripes. They had their stripes washed. So they were actually the ones with the stripes. Okay. Did the jailer wash? The jailer washed. So Paul and Silas had been beaten because they had helped a little girl be delivered from a demon. They were beaten and thrown in jail. So they were bloody, they were sweating, they were nasty, and they right away put them in chains. And so the keeper of the jail was there to make sure they didn't get out, didn't start any trouble. But there they were in jail singing praises to God, singing hymns out loud, and the other prisoners heard it. The earthquake came, and the doors opened, and everybody's chains fell off. And when the jailer woke up, he must have been a pretty hard sleeper uh, for an earthquake to not wake him. But the, the jailer woke up and he thought, they're all gone. I had one job to do and I failed at it. They're out. And so I know my boss is going to punish me severely. So rather than deal with that, I'll just take my own sword and kill myself. I'll take my own life. It's pretty severe. But actually in this story, 
Some of the most beautiful compassion you'll ever see is from those two men who were dripping blood, who were bruised and beaten and bound with chains. Because Paul and Silas, rather than say, well, he was awful to us. He treated us horribly. He's getting what he deserves. They said, no, don't do it. We're all in here. And he got a light and he ran in and he saw they were there. And guess what Paul and Silas had the opportunity to do? What did they tell the jailer about? Did they tell him, God is judging you because you were horrible to us? Does anybody remember? What did, what did they tell him? They told him that... Told him about Jesus, right? About how to be saved. So they heard the good news of the gospel. This jailer and all of his household, it says, and they rejoiced to know Jesus. What a wonderful story of compassion. There are sometimes people in your life that are not going to treat you well. And those are the very people that Jesus sends us to. Not everybody that needs to hear the gospel is always lovely and kind and nice. Sometimes they are a little mixed up and messed up in this world and they don't love people the way they should. But Jesus calls us to love and have compassion even on them. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. That it is not tied to or tethered to the way that people treat us. And there are times in this world, because of sin, that people do treat us badly. And I pray, Lord, for our covenant children this morning who are here, that they would think about this. About the kindness and the goodness of God that has come to them and proclaimed freedom for them because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we exalt you, we raise up praises to you, that you have saved us, people who, in the Bible it says, we were God's enemies. When Jesus came. Lord I pray that you would help our covenant children. To spread the love of Jesus. With those that they meet and come in contact with. And I pray Lord that you would help them to know. That nothing can take away your love from them. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading. We're going to read together out loud. Psalm 127. It's on page 832 in the green hymnal. Psalm 127. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 832. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Amen. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, uh, we have a special guest here with us. Uh, Reverend Steve Jessen and his wife Julie are here. Just wanted to ask if they would stand just briefly for a moment uh, so that you all can put a face with a name. And they'll be staying for lunch uh, with us today, so please take a moment to get to uh, meet them. They have a, a table set up next door and a sign-up sheet where if you would like to hear uh, from their newsletter, it's the best way to do that. But Steve and Julie, thank you so much for coming today and especially sharing in Sunday school. And we'd like to pray for you and for your family now, for your ministry.
and certainly for your recovery as well. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are our good Heavenly Father, that we may call upon You, that we may raise up our petitions and our prayers in faith knowing that You hear us and that You answer according to Your providence in Your time. Lord, we thank You for the blessing of having Steve and Julie with us today. We pray, Lord, that You would bless them as they travel back home later this afternoon. And Lord, I pray for for them uh, with many things going on in their lives, their ministry uh, going at this time. We just pray, Lord, that You would be working through them and in them. I pray for their marriage, Lord, that they would continue to love one another and grow closer together. In the many years that You have given them, we pray, Lord, that they would continue to love You and through that love, love one another as, as Christ loves us. Lord, I pray for their children and for their grandchild. Lord, what a blessing it is to see family. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, encourage them that it is because of your building their family that this happens. And Lord, I do pray for their, their needs. They have spiritual needs and personal needs, things that are heavy on their hearts that they even came with today. And I pray, Lord, that you would work mightily in their hearts and minds, that they would know that you are with them, that you're providing And Lord, I do pray for uh, their financial needs also. They are raising support as missionaries, just like any of our other missionaries. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs. May this be something that you do even beyond what they could imagine, so that they wouldn't be worried or concerned, are we going to be able to make it this year? And Lord, I pray that because of you meeting this need in their, their lives and in their family's life, that it would free Steve up to be able to devote himself totally to the calling that you have given him, to serve in disaster response, to mobilize people, and to encourage those that he's training to go and share the gospel as they go and do acts of service and love for others. Lord, I pray that you would keep him safe as he goes, as he does trainings, as he responds to disasters himself. And I pray, Lord, most of all, that you would fill him with your spirit, that as he shares the good news of the gospel, that it would be clear that lost souls would hear it, that they would know that there is hope in the Lord Jesus even in the midst of their tragedy. And Lord, I pray that they wouldn't be so excited only about having a house put back together or taking care of damage, but that they would rejoice to know that they may know the God of the universe, that their sins may be forgiven, that they may be given a space at your table. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that we could pray for them today. What a privilege it is to lift up one another in prayer. I pray for our church family today also, Lord, that you would minister to us. There are many in our midst who are, who are suffering or struggling with health concerns and issues that stretch beyond just a couple weeks or a few days, things that have been ongoing for some time. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet us where we are, that you would pour out your grace upon us. I pray for those who are grieving those who are suffering under affliction and who are walking through great trials even this morning and yet are here. I pray, Lord, that you would give your people faith. And I pray, Lord, that together this morning as your people, we would see the Lord Jesus, behold him as beautiful and as precious in your sight. And Lord, I pray as we come to your word in a few moments that you would bless our hearts and that we would rejoice to believe by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Ms. Pam and Madeline, for sharing your gifts with us this morning. What a privilege it is to see uh, generations of God's faithfulness. I hope that it's not lost on you to see the covenant faithfulness of our Heavenly Father for a grandmother and a granddaughter to sing the praises of our Savior, fairest Lord Jesus. Thank you, Pam and Madeline. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Amazing Grace. We'll be reading verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. We're nearing the end of our series, Ordinary Christian Living, As we've looked at the book of Titus, and the sermon this morning is entitled Amazing Grace. The book of Titus is a letter, actually, from the Apostle Paul to a young minister. Be faithful, Titus. Do the work of the ministry that our Heavenly Father has called you to. In praise and honor and glory to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus among His people as you live there on the island of Crete. And shepherd God's people. Love them. And he's to shepherd this this people who are young Christians. They're a young church living in an immoral society. And they live in a place where they're also being threatened by false teachers. So he says to them, to the Cretan believers, be devoted to the truth. Yes, absolutely have correct knowledge. Know the right doctrine. But also be sure that in all your knowing, that you know the Lord Jesus, that you know your Heavenly Father, that you know you worship the living and the true God who desires to be in a relationship with you. One of the insidious false teachings was that salvation is not all of grace. That in fact there is a a big responsibility for us to do works in order to add to the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1 verse 11, this kind of teaching was threatening whole households. There were moms and dads who were believing this. And it threatened their unadulterated belief in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It threatened them to believe that I need to do things in order for God to love me. And Paul is clear that the grace of God appears in spite of our sinfulness. And even our works done in righteousness that we just read about in chapter 3, verse 5. Jack Miller wrote, The best news you ever heard is that original sin is true. If original sin and the curse is true, then the grace of God is true. The love of God is shallow unless there is a depth to which it reaches, compelled by God's own justice and holiness in the gift of His Son. Original sin is true. It's not true only that you do sinful things, but that thoroughly, in and out of who you are, in the depths of your being, you are a sinful person apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the beauty of the Gospel, the song that we sing, 
amazing grace is that Jesus has come to save His people. The risk here for the Cretans is that they would slide into what Paul considered a cold, lifeless legalism. That they would think, I do one, two, three, and this is how I honor and obey the Lord. This is what a Christian looks like. That they would miss the grace gift of salvation. It really is possible, according to Paul, to glorify God by godly living while also enjoying Him. You can't say, I love the Lord. I walk with Him. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I seek to glorify Him while also not knowing Him. It is a relationship that He draws us into with Himself. And the Holy Spirit motivates believers. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He is a promised gift from your Heavenly Father. And He motivates you to Christian living. He motivates you by giving you freedom from the bondage of sin. You are no longer under its power as a believer, as a son or daughter of the living God. You have been redeemed from the curse. And He has forgiven your sins. So anything in you that would seek to want to earn something from your Heavenly Father, to say, this is my sin, I've got to do something to pay Him back for it, would be to deny what Jesus came to do. He came to buy your forgiveness. And He won it on the cross. And He proclaims to you through His resurrection, there is no other way to have life. It is amazing grace that you sing about, not your amazing self. We come to the cross and see that there is only one who is beautiful. It is the Lord Jesus Himself. So this morning as we look at this passage, I want to ask two questions this morning and hopefully answer them. Number one, what is regeneration? that Paul is talking about to Titus. It's a key word in this passage. So number one, what is regeneration? And number two, how does God do it? So number one, what is regeneration? In the Bible, this word means the the new birth or being born again. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus and He said, you must be born again. Nicodemus was confused. He thought it meant that somehow he was physically to be born again. That he was somehow able to be born again from a mother or from his own mother. He was confused. He thought about something earthly and physical and not something spiritual that Jesus was talking about. This word that Paul uses, this word regeneration in verse 5, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. What is it that Paul is referring to here? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said that in the resurrection... When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. He's talking to the disciples and He tells them, You will sit on thrones while the King sits on His throne. He is picturing something that is beyond simply just saving our souls. This is a cosmic event. Something that the Lord Jesus and our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have been anticipating since before creation even before the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, anticipating a recreation, something that would be done in Isaiah 65, verse 17, and also in chapter 66, verse 22, God the Father spoke through the prophet and said, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is what Paul is talking about here. It's what Jesus was speaking about. It only makes sense, though, if you think about this world that we live in. 
If you think about what's happening around us, as you think about your own salvation, the Lord Jesus did not win you salvation for you to live only forever eternally in a world that is fallen and broken and falling apart. He created you with a new heart and gave it to you so that you would live in a place of beauty and righteousness and holiness apart from sin. Not just apart from its power, but completely apart from its presence in your life. This only makes sense if you have a biblical view of sin and its far-reaching impact, not only from every human being in this room and every person who has ever existed, but also all of creation itself. God made all of creation for us a visible display of the horrors of sin. Think about disease and degeneration and natural disasters and all the terrible things that happen in the world. All of these things happen as a result of the fall. Even the creation itself has been subjected to it by our Heavenly Father. So Jesus and Paul anticipate a regeneration where everything that is awful in this world will be made new and we will live in it with Him where He rules and reigns forever. If you have your Bible open still, go over to Romans chapter 8. This is a very significant passage about the recreation of the world that God has made and what Jesus anticipated and Paul is speaking about here in Titus. It's easy sometimes to think about our salvation as only about us specifically. And it certainly is. But there is a large program, a large plan that God has been working since the foundation of the world. And Paul speaks about it here. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, But we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. All of creation is going through labor pains. Think about disease and awful things. Car crashes. Hurricanes, tornadoes, everything that's happening, these are birth pains. The creation itself cannot wait to see the revelation of the sons of God, but also to be delivered from all the curses that our Heavenly Father subjected it to, and He did it in hope. It was His perfect design from before all time began that He would subject it to the sinfulness that we see now because of our sin, because of our participation with Adam. It was by His perfect design. This was not an oops. This was not an oh no, I didn't account for that. This was in His perfect knowledge of what He knew would take place. John Piper says, The moral outrage of sin is so horrendous that God gave us visible, touchable evidences of the outrage in our own times. And as you and I see the effects of sin in the world, including disobedience to God, hate, towards one another, unbelief, diseases, wars, hurricanes, car accidents, corruptness, nasty treatment of others who were called to love. You have to say one of two things. Either the curse and the subjection of all things is massively wrong and unjust, or 
Sin is more horrible than I ever thought it was. It's a parable. What you see happening around you is a parable. It's a physical imaging of a moral outrage that our sin is to the living God. That is a sobering thought. To think about the depths and the horror of our sin. To think about what it is in the face and the presence of the living God. That these things are happening, not necessarily as a result of our choices, but as a result of sin and Him who subjected it. But you have to remember He did it in hope. He knew that after a time He would redeem it. And because of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it says that He despised the shame that He endured on the cross. He despised it because He knew that He would redeem you, His people. And He knew that He would redeem the creation that He made. He did it in hope. This word regeneration is about that. About God's cosmic plan. So when you think about these words that we read in Titus chapter 3, you should have really big thoughts about what God is doing. Yes, you should rejoice that you have been, your name has been written in His book. That you have a seat at His table. That He has prepared a place for you. But you should rejoice to know that the God of the universe is doing something massively bigger than what's happening at your address. That He is bringing this entire world to the place that He planned for it to be before He even built it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, what we just read, it says that we ache, you ache, maybe in ways that you can't even explain, and not even with words that you can even put together in a sentence, you ache to be redeemed. It says that we were given the first fruits of the Spirit, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You will be given a new body. What is broken and doesn't work, or maybe has parts that need to be replaced or have been replaced or removed, you will be given a body that will no longer feel pain. You will never have to wonder about how long is this recovery going to be. Will I ever be the same again? You will be given a glorious body like Jesus' body. And you will never have to worry about aging again. So when he speaks about the new birth, when he speaks about your regeneration, you should be thinking, all of the power of Almighty God is coming to bear on my spirit. He has delivered me from sin, from its penalty, from its power. I no longer have to endure it. And the attacks from the enemy. One day, but you know there's a groaning in you. Because it's not here yet. So you wait in hope. Flip back over if you still have your Bible with you to Titus chapter 3. I want to read verse 5 again. It says that our salvation here is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You should rejoice in your salvation today. You should thank the Lord Jesus that He came. But you should also rejoice and think about deeply this universal wide plan that God has to redeem His creation. In verse 7 it says that He is doing this, that having been justified by His grace, you and I, justified, able to stand in His presence, and welcomed into His presence because of Jesus, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Slaves are not heirs. Orphans are not heirs. Family is heirs. 
sons and daughters of the living God, people who did not know him, who hated him and who wanted him out of their lives. It says Jesus came for us, even when we hated him. And when he says that you and I are heirs, it means heirs of everything that he has planned, including eternal life. So we will enjoy a new heavens and a new earth, a new body, perfected relationships, sinless sight of all that is good and glorious. And we will have new capacities for a kind of pleasure in God that will exceed every dream that you have. Can you imagine going through even an hour without having to deal with sin? And that is your hope for all of eternity. What an amazing grace Jesus came to bring us. But I have a question. Does everybody need this kind of regeneration? Is it true that all people really have been subjected to the sin fall that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden? Or is it really that there are some people that are really bad, and we see that in the news, but other people mostly are all pretty good? No. It's actually true that everyone, absolutely everyone, needs this kind of regeneration. Everyone without exception. In verse 3 of Titus chapter 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. All of us are in there at one place or another. And we we have it in in our minds of, of wanting to chafe against the law of God and His rule in His creation. We all struggle to believe that that's us, but we absolutely need His cleansing power in our lives. Everyone needs it. Verse 3 describes human hearts apart from Christ because of the fall. And those kinds of hearts, those awful evil hearts, are not welcome in God's presence and they won't have a place in His new heaven and new earth. In John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you in verse 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 4, he gives us a phrase that's similar to what he wrote to the Ephesians. He says, but God, but God, in spite of who we are in our sinfulness, in spite of our hatred of Him, in spite of the ways that we have lived to serve ourselves and not Him, this is grace. But God, His grace poured out on us. We were dead and God made us alive. We were slaves to desires and pleasures so powerful it was not possible for us to taste and see that the Lord was good. We were dead in our sins. We don't believe that we're bad people who need to be made good. We believe we are dead people apart from Christ and He must make us alive or we remain in our sin. That's the truth of the Gospel. That is our hope. So how does God do it? If that's regeneration, if that's what it means to be recreated, born again, given a new heart, how does God do that in the lives of His people? He does it on His own. Absolutely on His own. In verse 5, it says that He does it by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need both of those. We need washing. We need to be made clean. And we need renewal. We need to be made new. Nicodemus was really confused by this. He said, how shall I do this? Can I go another time into my mother's womb and be born again? Is it possible to get a redo? 
And Jesus says, no, it's not possible unless you are born of the water and of the Spirit. You can't see the kingdom. It's not possible for you to go there. We read those words in Ezekiel chapter 36. Jesus said, born of water and the Spirit. Ezekiel 36, He talks about being sprinkled clean with clean water, given new hearts. Hearts that are turned towards God and not turned inwardly on ourselves. He says, I'll clean you and make you new. I'll put my spirit within you. I will renew in you what I put there. And you will be mine and you will love me. And you will walk in my ways. This was an Old Testament promise that the people of God looked forward to. One day He will cleanse us. One day He will make us new. And we will walk with Him. The Bible says face to face we shall behold Him. They couldn't wait. And Jesus comes on the scene and He's here telling Nicodemus, I am the fulfillment of that promise. I am the promise that you have been waiting for. How does He do it? He does it, it says in three important words, in kindness, in love, and in mercy. And all of these in the plan of God. You and I this morning, if maybe you have some orphan-like tendencies... And you think, well, I've got to be really careful. I've got to keep my my attitude up. I've got to keep my behavior up. I've got to, to treat people well so that God doesn't look at me and get upset. We have to throw off any notion in our minds that God begrudgingly saves His people. Salvation is born out of His righteous, holy character. He does it in kindness and love and mercy. He rejoices to save His people. He delights in it. And the amazing truth of the gospel is that he needs absolutely nothing from us. There's nothing that we could give him and there's nothing that he needs from us. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 it says that about our salvation that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 it says but God being rich in mercy He's not in short supply. There aren't shortages that doesn't that they can't keep him from pouring out his mercy on his people. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together in Christ. When we were dead, when we hated him, when we could not respond, when we couldn't even say, "Help, Jesus saved us." How does God do this work in our lives? He does it by sending Jesus. You remember that phrase in verse 4 when the kindness and the love of God appeared? That's the Lord Jesus. How do you know that God loves people? How do you know that He's kind, that He has mercy? Look at the Lord Jesus coming into the world. And that is the evidence. He is there for us to see. He has appeared. Jesus is the appearing of the goodness and love of God. And our regeneration is owing to the historical work of Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing you could do or read or believe. Nothing else. He is the one that offers resurrection life and unites us with Himself. We could not do that on our own. So how does He do it? There's an important negation. A very important negation that Paul gives to Titus. He wants to be sure they understand it. This is truth. You need to know it. God does this by His amazing grace. But you have to be sure that He doesn't... You don't believe that He does it by our works. In verse 5, he says, not by works of righteousness. You might scratch your head and say, hmm, interesting. He didn't say, not by works done in legalism. He didn't say, not by works done with half-hearted effort 
or just kind of sloughing off a little bit. You know, maybe you give a chore to your children or maybe you've been given a chore and you, you do your best and you kind of make sure it looks like it's, it's neat, but you really didn't have your heart in it. He's saying not by works of righteousness. This is incredibly practical and pastoral as he speaks to Titus. Be sure you tell God's people this because he knows how we think. He knows that the good things that happen in our lives, many times we take credit for. If something good is happening, I must have done something good to earn it. And then when something bad happens, we are down in the dumps. I can't believe this is happening to me. God must be upset with me. I need to, I need to trace it backwards and find the problem, find the sin. It may be that God is disciplining you as a son or daughter of His, but He doesn't treat His children that way. He's not finicky that way, maybe the way that we are. And actually, there's nothing you could do to put God in your debt. The book of Job says very clearly in chapter 41, verse 11, that God is no man's debtor ever. He says that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. He's saying that it's not even your best efforts, not even your best motives. In spite of those things, Jesus came and saved you. Our best efforts secure us nothing, and they keep for us nothing. We are regenerated only by God's hand, alone. We have to remember that. We have to remember it on our best days. We have to remember it on our worst days. I want to end with a quote that says, Our words and works achieve nothing for us before the gate of heaven, but they are the evidence that our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus is true. If you see good work in your life, rejoice. You wouldn't do that on your own. If you see believing and hope and walking in faith, if you see yourself trusting the Lord and asking Him for grace every day, rejoice in hope. The Lord Jesus put that there. You don't do good works so that you hope you have a place in heaven. You do good works because you know you already do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You and we praise You. We say that all honor and glory is due to You alone and not to ourselves. We confess, Lord, that in our sinfulness we have earned nothing except Your wrath and the curse. And only because of Your mercy and nothing in ourselves have You saved us. We rejoice, Lord, that our names have been written in Your book. Lord, I pray for Your people today that You would encourage them to know that there is great hope and great reason to hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That one day we will see with all of the creation and all of Your people a new heavens and a new earth that You have planned to build. And we pray, Lord, asking that You would hasten that day according to Your will, that we would be delivered from sin and from these bodies that don't work. And we pray, Lord, in hope, waiting for that day with great expectation. And we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit to be busy about the work of Your kingdom between now and then. We pray, Lord, that You would make us useful in Your kingdom, that we would share the good news of the Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's continue worshiping now by responding to God's Word, singing hymn number 172, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder.
You may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us even as we think about giving our tithes and offerings this morning, that we do so from a place of faith and gratefulness and not from a heart that says, I hope that God will think about me giving 
and that he will accept me into heaven because of it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be right in our thinking, but also loving in our thinking, that we are hidden under the shadow of your wings because of your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would use our tithes and our offerings in ways that you have so richly blessed us. We give back to you a portion of what you have given for the sake of the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory, not only throughout our church, but in our community and throughout the world. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings to relieve the sufferings of others and that they might hear of the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And also just wanted to give you a word of instruction. Uh, Steve and Julie will be going at the head of the line. And I wanted to encourage everyone to let our uh, more mature adults go through the line next. And then everybody else after that. Um, Just as a a way of showing love and respect to our church family. uh, Receive the benediction of our Lord in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would bless our meal. Bless our fellowship together. Bless this time that we have to celebrate a meal and your faithfulness. Help us to consider all the ways that you have gifted us. And I pray, Lord, that you would make our fellowship with one another sweet. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.